Our speaker this evening was ordained in 1996 when he finished his Master of Arts degree at the Angelicum in Rome. He has served as parochial vicar at several parishes in the Diocese of Arlington and as pastor of St. John the Beloved in McLean. He currently serves as Episcopal Vicar for Clergy, Director of the Permanent Diaconate Program, and Pastor of St. James. He's the author of That Nothing May Be Lost, Reflections on Catholic Doctrine and Devotion, and editor of Sermons in Times of Crisis, 12 Homilies to Stir Your Soul. Father Scalia is a member of the Institute's Board of Advisors and has given numerous extremely popular lectures for the ICC in years past. And so we are so pleased to welcome back to the ICC a great priest and friend Father Paul Scalia. Welcome, Father. Father, welcome. Good to have you with us tonight. Great. Good to be back with you guys. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Anna. Uh, glad to uh, be with so many uh, friends of, of the Institute of Catholic Culture. Let's uh, begin with a prayer. In the name of the yes. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God and Father, we ask the uh, gift of your Holy Spirit upon us this evening, on each and every one of us, to settle our hearts and to clear our minds of all distractions, uh, to enlighten our minds that we may see the matters we discuss this evening in your light, that we may know the truth and by your grace, know also how to respond in all charity. We ask you for the gift to, uh, of both clarity and charity in responding to uh, these uh, timely issues that we examine tonight. We pray this invoking the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, our mother and our queen of St. Joseph, her spouse. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Welcome, Father. Thank you for being with us tonight. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So um, uh, this evening, we're going to talk about uh, Catholicism and uh, homosexuality. I'd actually like to sort of back it up a, a little further and, and say, uh, we're gonna talk about Catholicism and human sexuality. And within that context, examine this, uh, uh, the, the issue of homosexuality. Um, just a, a few words by way of introduction. First, uh, my, my talk tonight is, I mean, it's, also, it's obviously um, a product of study of the church's teaching, but also it's the result of uh, almost 20 years of working in the Courage Apostolate and uh, Courage is international organization of outreach to men and women with same-sex attractions who desire to live the church's teaching. And so uh, this is not just sort of a book, a book knowledge of, of this issue, but also uh, the many encounters with uh, men and women uh, who have same-sex attractions. Some uh, really desire the church's teaching, others uh, not, not so much, but uh, uh, many different conversations over these past almost 20 years. And this evening, my, my talk is really going to focus on uh, the pastoral response uh, on, the, on this issue. Um, there, there are many political and cultural issues that are caught up with this. Uh, and, and maybe we can touch on those during the Q&A. My main concern here is 
uh, how we can help those closest to us. Uh, and when I say it's a pastoral response, I mean, it has to do with the care of souls. How do we, boast, how do we best care for and, and love those um, who are struggling or maybe who even, even uh, oppose what the church teaches? So in order to do that, we need to know deeply uh, what the church teaches. We need to appreciate it and, 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 and love it and, and be formed by it. We need to be formed by divine teaching. Uh, and then from there, we can assist others. So I will uh, address this in three main sections. One is just a brief catechesis on the human person uh, and human sexuality uh, within that context. Uh, the second is to talk about what the church really teaches about homosexuality, because there's so much confusion uh, and sometimes uh, deliberate um, misleading statements about what the church teaches. And finally, uh, some words about how we can respond, uh, what, should, what should characterize uh, our response uh, to, uh, to this issue and uh, to, those, to those around us, perhaps even uh, to some of our loved ones. So first, as regards the human person, uh, let me just uh, list off a couple of essential things that we have to keep in mind about the human person. These are things that we find in scripture, but are not only in scripture. Uh, you don't have to be Catholic, Christian, or a believer in any, of any sort, really, to, to arrive at these. And the first is that we are created. Now, that might seem to be an obvious thing, uh, but it is, it is perhaps less and less obvious uh, in our culture. We do not create ourselves. We receive our human nature. When we use the term human nature, what we mean by that is that there is a nature that is particular to humans, that makes us human. There are certain constitutive things that are part of our nature. And if we lack one of those, and we're not human anymore, we're something else. So the first is that we are created. That might seem to be obvious and perfunctory. It might come in handy to remember that later on. Second, we are body and soul unity. Uh, one of the big mistakes in the modern world is to see the human person as a, a spiritual reality with a body. And, and I think many people, probably, I suspect many Catholics, would describe the human person in that way. We are soul with a body. That's mistaken. The human person is one organism that is body and soul together. Uh, it is not uh, a body, it's not a, a soul rattling around in a body needing to be freed from it, as, as many heresies throughout the centuries have thought. Uh, it is not just a body that is, uh, you know, can do whatever it want, wants, but it is the body and soul together, which means that the body is to be an expression of the soul and, uh, and that the soul, therefore, expresses itself through the body. Uh, next, the human person is sexual. Male and female, he created them. Now, this is perhaps one of the, one of the most controversial things to say today, right? Uh, but th this is, first of all, just a natural truth about, a biological truth about the human person. Before it's, it's, it's a scriptural truth, it's, it's just something in nature. You know, God teaches us by these two books, right? Uh, the book of nature and the book of scripture. And both of these witness to the truth that the human person is male and female. 
uh, we are sexed creatures. Um, and that means that we are complementary. Uh, man and woman are created for one another. Uh, human sexuality is, has a specific ordering and design. Again, that is something that for most of history would have been, it would have been an unremarkable thing to say. But today it is, um, it's not even considered. It's, it's just, uh, it, it's thought to be absurd. But our, our, our sexuality, the fact that we are sexual beings means that our sexuality is designed for a purpose. Man is designed for woman, woman is designed for man. Um, a, a friend of mine likes to explain this um, in actually two different ways. And I think uh, Jay Budaszewski is a great, great writer on these things. He, he also uses this. Um, so raise your hand if you have a reproductive system. You're all wrong. None of you has a reproductive system. No one person has a reproductive system. Right? It, it, it takes two people. <laughs> uh, there can't be a reproductive system in just one person. It takes two people and it takes two people of the opposite sex. Uh, you don't have a, a reproductive system. You don't have, you don't have reproduction or procreation without that, without that complementarity. That's kind of a funny, um, a funny question to ask if you were all seated, you know, in this tiny little room here, if we we're in a big lecture hall, because usually when I ask it, all the women raise their hands because when we hear reproductive health, we just think, well, that, that's women's health, right? Reproductive health never refers to men. Uh, so the women's hands all go up and the men, they say, uh, well, I, I know I have something to do with it, but uh, you know, <laughs> not sure. So, uh, but the, the answer is nobody does. No one person does, but uh, you have to have two persons of the opposite sex. Another way of seeing the truth of um, human sexuality's design and the complementarity of man and woman is uh, to think of it this way, that um, in order to understand the different functionings of the human body, the different uh, purposes of organs and members of the human body, it's sufficient to have one body to examine. If you understand how the eyes or the ears work or the gallbladder or the split, whatever else. The notable exception to that is human genitalia. If you want to understand what, what, what is this for, why does this body have this member, <laughs> then you need another body of the opposite sex in order to explain it. In other words, Man and woman are inexplicable apart from one another. They are inexplicable except in that complementary relationship with one another. And so um, what is the purpose? What is, what is sex designed for? Uh, well, and, and this is, um, this is a powerfully articulated 1968 in Humanae Vitae. Uh, Paul VI prophetic and courageous uh, encyclical uh, that, that human sexuality is designed for procreation and union uh, or babies and bonding. It's, it's that simple. Uh, sometimes it leads to both. Uh, 
Uh, sometimes it leads to one or the other. And the church says, well, it's, it's designed for both, but if one or the other doesn't come about for whatever reason, okay, it's just, but no couple can frustrate one or the other purpose of human sexuality. And so procreation and union, babies and body, this is the purpose of human sexuality, uh, these two things together. And it's important to, uh, to keep in mind that these two things must always be kept together. And a final, um, a final uh, point about this that, that scripture really makes clear to us, although we all have a sense of it, um, but, but scripture really clarifies it, is that the human person is wounded. What is the first thing that Adam and Eve do after they sin? They, they cover themselves. Um, prior to sin, they were naked and unashamed. There was a harmony between their body and soul and between one another. They could look at one another without shame. After sin, the first thing they do is they look for a way to cover themselves and to hide, kind of hide themselves from one another. Um, they are literally not comfortable in their own skin. And so one of the effects of sin, well, let's point out two effects, right? Um, it's a disharmony between body and soul. And I want you to file that one away uh, for what I anticipate will come in the Q&A. Uh, so there's a disharmony between body and soul and a disharmony between man and woman. Uh, and which is also say a disharmony in human sexuality. It's been wounded. Uh, we see that um, in, in every culture, right? G.K. Chesterton says that uh, original sin is the one teaching of the church that you, 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 know, that, that you can prove. You don't, you don't need faith to, 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 to believe it, right? It, it, it's all around us. Uh, but scripture helps us to, to, to understand it better. This original harmony of body and soul, of human sexuality, of man and woman is, is hurt. It is wounded. And so we experience to varying degrees and in varying ways, we all experience a certain disharmony within ourselves, with, between our body and soul, uh, and in our relationships and in our sexuality. Uh, that is uh, the legacy of original sin. So um, having said all of those things, let's turn now to the phenomenon of, of homosexuality. And in this, I, I'm, I'm simply, I'm, I'm going to be really boring. I mean, maybe I have been already, but uh, if so, I'm going to get more boring. Um, but I'm just going to work from the catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 2357 to 2359. Now, you cannot be using the original edition of the catechism of the Catholic Church, because those paragraphs were amended. Uh, in 19, I think 96, maybe 97. Uh, and there's some very important changes made. But in this, what, what I'd like to point out are three different levels uh, uh, that the church looks at regarding uh, homosexuality. And this is a section on chastity and homosexuality. 
So it says, homosexuality refers to relations between men or between women who experience an, an exclusive or predominant sexual attraction toward persons of the same sex. Okay, that's pretty clear. It has taken a great, it has taken a great variety of forms throughout the centuries and in different cultures. Its psychological genesis remains largely unexplained. I, I think that's a modest statement on the part of the catechism because a lot of work has been done in that area. Basing itself on, on sacred scripture, which presents homosexual, homosexual acts as acts of grave depravity, tradition has always declared that, and here it's quoting a, an authoritative document, homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. Okay, here is the first a point of real controversy uh, in our culture. This phrase, intrinsically disordered. It's very important to note that this phrase is being used to describe not persons, but actions. That is very important. Uh, there was a Catholic blogger who some years ago uh, um, use this term and said, well, we all, we all have intrinsic disorders. No, that's not what this term means. It's describing certain actions that are always and at all times wrong. No circumstances can ever make them right. Now, it's worth noting that this is not the only uh, action that the church says is intrinsically disordered. Um, direct abortion, always and at all times wrong. Euthanasia, always and at all times wrong. Lying, always and at all times wrong. Just to throw some controversy out there and make everybody who's ever told a white lie to a spouse feel really guilty. Um, what does it mean that they are intrinsically disordered? Okay. By disordered, what it means is that sexual actions, the proper ordering of them is man to woman and woman to man. That's, the, that's what they're designed for. That's, that's what human genitalia is designed to do. Uh, that is why uh, the, the sexual desires um, uh, that affect both body and soul, because we are both body and soul, those are ordered towards the union of man and woman. And so actions, that go contrary to that design, to that order, are therefore disordered. When it says intrinsically, what it means, it, again, it's not a statement about the person. It is a statement about the action, and it means that under no circumstances can those actions ever be properly ordered. Um, it's disordered for a man and a woman to have sex out of marriage. Uh, but that arrangement can be, be made ordered <laughs> if they get married, right? Um, but uh, relations between a homosexual couple can never be ordered because uh, by their very nature, they're, they're running contrary to the design. Again, what's very important here is this is not a statement about a person. Uh, it's not a description of a group of people. It's a statement about actions. Catechism goes on. Why are these disordered? They are contrary to the natural law, as we've talked about. 
They close the sexual gift to the, the sexual act to the gift of life. Obviously, uh, they, they, they are not procreative, but then it goes on. They do not proceed from a genuine affective and sexual complementarity. Ah, that's very interesting. Remember, because we are body and soul, it's not just that these are physically disordered, but also because that affective and sexual complementarity, which is both body and soul, is not present there. And the paragraph uh, concludes, under no circumstances can they be approved. Okay. So this is, think of this as like the, the, the outermost uh, statement uh, on this issue. What, what does the church teach about these actions? Okay. Um, now we go closer in, uh, sort of the, the, next, the next level in. And that is to talk about the attractions or the inclinations. Paragraph 2358, the number of men and women who have deep-seated homosexual tendencies, that's a very important word, tendencies, not orientations, is not negligible. This inclination, which is objectively disordered, constitutes for most of them a trial. Okay, here's another controversy, objectively disordered. Again, that term is not describing a person. It's not describing a group of people. It is describing an inclination or a tendency. Um, and that term objectively means um, it's not a statement about anything about the person. So precisely what, what that term means, objectively speaking, we're not, you know, we're not making any statement about the person or any group of people. Uh, those tendencies are disordered, again, because of what I said previously, the whole gift of human sexuality, which is both physical, spiritual, and emotional, it is meant for man and woman, woman and man. It is for their union. And so those inclinations, those desires that, that seek the union of man and man and, or woman and woman, um, th those are disordered. They're not going in the right direction. They're not observing the proper ordering of human sexuality. This is an objective statement. It is not an announcement of guilt. It's not, uh, it, it's not proclaiming, uh, it's not condemning any person or any group of people. Uh, now, I've spent a lot of time kind of making that distinction about these two terms, intrinsically disordered and objectively disordered because, um, well, other people in the culture, and I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say other people in the church have said, well, those phrases are not helpful and we need and, and we need to get away from them. If we can find other terms to describe the same truth, that would be fine. But uh, these terms, they're, they're not meant for public consumption. The, these, are, these are some fairly technical definitions uh, and they are precise in what, in what they describe. Uh, but, but we do need to kind of understand what they describe and understand that this is not a statement about the person which is what many people accuse the church of doing. People will say, um, uh, and, and uh, homosexual activists will, and I've heard them say, uh, the church thinks I'm, I'm intrinsically disordered or that I'm objectively disordered. The church doesn't say any person is disordered. Uh, that, that, and, and, and the catechism certainly doesn't say that. So we need to be clear on that. 
need to be clear on that to, to avoid um, some distortions uh, of the church's teaching that are out there. Catechism goes on. What do we, what does the church teach about people who have um, homosexual tendencies? They must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Uh, no slurs, um, no making fun of them, no condemnations. Every sign of unjust discrimination must, in their regard, should be avoided. That's a very interesting adjective, isn't it? Unjust discrimination, indicating that there, in, in some circumstances, for example, about marriage, there is a just kind of discri discrimination. And then it goes on. These persons are called to fulfill God's will in their lives. And if they are Christians, to unite to the sacrifice of the Lord's cross, the difficulties they may encounter from their condition. That's beautiful, right? That's beautiful. Um, the church is saying, no, uh, if, if somebody's experienced this, that person's called to sanctity. That, that person's called to, to be one with Christ on the cross. And then the final paragraph in this section, homosexual persons are called to chastity. <laughs> Everybody is called to chastity, right? And so the church doesn't say, well, they are called to chastity, but in this section, it's, you know, talking uh, about that. Um, by the virtues of self-mastery that teach them inner freedom, at times by the support of disinterested friendship, by prayer and sacramental grace, they can and should gradually and resolutely approach Christian perfection, holiness. That is what they're called to. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And by the way, that's, I mean, in other words, <laughs> they're not exempt. <laughs> no, nobody's exempt from the call to holiness, right? Um, in my work with Courage over the past almost 20 years, uh, this is what I see in the men and women in Courage, is that, is that they are gradually and resolutely approaching Christian perfection. They are um, uh, resisting temptations, they are resisting the culture, and they are seeking to that, that inner freedom that, that the catechism talks about uh, so, that they, so that they can live the, the life of Christ with, with greater and greater freedom. Um, so those are kind of the three levels that I, that I think are important to keep in mind. What the church teaches about sexual actions, inclinations, and then the person uh, himself. Uh, and what is the church, I mean, as with any person, the church says that the person is good. The person is wounded. The person might fail, but the person is good. Uh, the, the, the person would not exist if God had not loved that person into existence. And so we, we, we never say that, that the people are bad. You know, there's uh, Westboro Baptist, uh, they, their, their motto, and they, well, one of them is uh, God hates facts. Uh, which is offensive in the extreme, right? Uh, and and uh, what is the mistake that they make there? Um, well, there are a lot, but okay. The main one is they collapse the inclination that somebody has into the person. They identify the inclination and the person. That is the mistake, is to say, well, if somebody has homosexual tendencies, that person is gay, or as they put it, is a fag. Well, no, the, and the church says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, that's not how we think of people. In fact, this term here in the catechism, homosexual persons, 
in subsequent documents, the church uh, backed away from that term. Uh, and, and I think that that was very, I, I would suspect that that was at the encouragement of the, the, the founding of Courage, uh, Father John Harvey, a very saintly man. Um, I don't have evidence of that, but I suspect. Um, the term homosexual person is not, is not helpful. And the reason it's not helpful is because uh, there are only three kinds of persons, divine, angelic, and human. <laughs> there are only three divine persons that are a whole lot of angelic persons and are a whole lot of human persons. But we don't want to start um, uh, modifying the word person any further than that. So homosexual person is, is, is not a good term. The church has deliberately backed away from it because it, it's saying, okay, well, you're a particular kind of person. No, no, you're a person. You're a person who has certain, certain difficulties and certain struggles, uh, like every other person has difficulties and struggles. But the focus here is the person. And so, um, you, you know, really in the work of courage, which I, I, I think is, is the best reflection of the, the church's pastoral care. And so um, for further reading for you, for your homework, um, the 1986 document from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith by Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, the pastoral care of homosexual persons, not, not a good title, but um, that document really uh, is the Magna Carta for the church's pastoral care. And courage, I think, embodies what that document calls for more than any other, uh, other group. And in, in the work of courage, what we're, what we're always trying to do uh, with the, the, the people who come to us is to say, okay, you need to stop thinking of yourself as, well, I am homosexual or I am gay or I'm lesbian or, or whatever else. You need to think of yourself as a person and as a child of God. Uh, because uh, other, otherwise people get painted into a corner. Uh, and th this is what happens um, when a lot of the young are encouraged to self-identify or to come out of the closet, whatever else, is they, they find that they've painted themselves into a corner is that they've identified themselves one way, I am this, I am gay, or I, I am a lesbian or, or whatever else. Uh, and they lose sight of that deeper identity that they have as a person and as a child of God. And so the, that, the, the distinction between those, between the core of our teaching, which is always the person, and then that, that the next level out, which is the inclinations, making that distinction and refusing to collapse the inclinations and the person into one thing. We always have to refuse to do that. And so with all those things said, let me, and I, I've already kind of gotten into it. How do we respond to this? Well, first, um, we need to articulate the full truth of, of human sexuality. It's not as though homosexuality is the only sexual crisis we have in our culture. It's not as though heterosexual chastity is being lived in, in a beautiful way throughout our culture. And it's just homosexuality that's, that's ruining it for everybody. No, we need to understand that, that the issue of homosexuality is part of a larger uh, unraveling of human sexuality. 
Um, and if we don't situate it that way, then actually we, we, we look ridiculous. Uh, it's a, you know, shake our fist at, at um, those pesky homosexuals when, you know, uh, divorce and marriage is rampant, cohabitation is, is rampant. Um, I mean, the number of sexual partners that, that, that people have is, is extraordinary. And, and so we have to um, back up from the, 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 the specific issue of homosexuality and make sure that we understand human sexuality and talk about that first. What is human sexuality? Uh, what is it designed for? That always, uh, I've been, I've, several times I was invited to, uh, Father, will you come and speak to our youth group or our, to our college group about homosexuality? I said, no, I won't. I'll come and talk about human sexuality. And in that context, we'll talk about this. But th that's, that's a very important uh, thing to, to always keep in mind. And then in our response is always uh, th this other thing that, that I've already talked about is distinguishing the person from the inclination and the person from the actions, okay? We don't want to make any person the sum total of his or her sexual attractions. Mm -hmm. Nobody should be identified that way. Uh, we, we love persons and, and, and we want to address persons. Uh, and, and so that, that really, and this is very much the work of courage. What, what we desire to do is, is to restore to people their proper identity. So much of this has to do with identity. I, I wanna know who I am. And that's, you know, we should have a certain sympathy for that. Um, and because um, everybody, we all wanna know, right? Uh, and in the modern world, the problem is we get to choose our identity. Um, and and that, that was never before in history. Uh, we, we are created being, beings. We receive our identity. I, I'm a person created in the image and likeness of God. That's my identity, right? Uh, and the living out of that is, 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 it's a lifetime's work, right? I'm a child of God. That's my identity. I need to, I need to live that out. And so, um, we should have a certain certain sympathy for people who have been misled and think, well, I've got to latch on to an identity. Um, we're in the work of, of helping people to, to understand their true identity. You know, George Weigel, in describing uh, John Paul II's first visit to Poland shortly after he was elected Pope, um, he, he says that basically what the Pope did for the Polish people is he went there and he, he restored their identity to them. He said, you are not who they, the Soviets, you are not who they say you are. Let me remind you who you are. Uh, and I think that that's a beautiful way of understanding just the church's mission in general, okay? And, and, and in this, this apostolate in particular. We always have to uh, be able to articulate, uh, as I said, the, the the purpose and the meaning of human sexuality, and related to that, what is chastity? Beware of any group in the Catholic Church that addresses this issue and doesn't talk about chastity. Talking about human sexuality and not talking about chastity is, is, is irresponsible. Chastity is the full living out and the joyful living out of, of human sexuality. And if we omit that from uh, the conversation, then, then we're not actually really describing human sexuality. And chastity is, is, is that self-possession by which we, we master our sexual desires and we submit them to, of course, love. 
uh, which is the form of all the virtues. And uh, so we have to be able to, to speak about what that is. And, and chastity isn't just, just sort of like, you know, a, a um, white knuckling it through temptations. No, it's seeking that inner freedom by which we, we have mastery over, uh, over our emotions, over our tendencies and inclinations. And everyone has to cultivate chastity and pray for it. Um, the role of language. This is very, very important. Okay, another uh, document for your homework. You have to read, again, Abuse of Language, Abuse of Power by Joseph Pieper. Um, we, we have to get our language right. So I've spoken about same-sex attractions. It's kind of a mouthful, right? It's not, it's not, it's not like an easy phrase. But uh, what it lacks in ease of, 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 of speech, it, it makes up for in precision. What we're talking about, it, it, see, our culture would like to present homosexuality as this monolithic thing. You're either gay or you're not. Um, no, that's, that's actually not accurate. People experience same-sex attractions in many varying degrees. I know men who were completely dominated by, by, by that and, and they had never experienced anything else. Uh, I know others who had, you know, it, they, they experienced that for a time and then it kind of went away. And so it's, it's, it's not fair just to say homosexuality, um, better to say same-sex attractions. Uh, now that doesn't mean that you, you know, immediately go and correct people on that, but, but just, uh, you know, keeping, keeping that in mind. I already mentioned uh, the word orientation. That's not helpful either because, and, and it was deliberately removed from the catechism. That, that was the correction that I referred to at the beginning. The word orientation, um, it implies a, a fixed state, right? That, that you're oriented this way. Well, as I said, that's actually not accurate to what people experience uh, with same-sex attractions. Sometimes people experience them very deeply, others it's, it's passing or it's light. So another reason that term orientation is not helpful is because it suggests that there can be, that, that human sexuality can be oriented in different ways. Human sexuality is oriented man to woman, woman to man. That is its orientation. Uh, the sun rises in the Orient. It can't rise anywhere else. You can't have more than one place for the sun to rise. There's one Orient and for human sexuality, there's one orientation. Uh, and so to speak of, you know, you, what was your sexual orientation, that, that's, uh, that, that's not helpful or accurate. Uh, and so it's better to avoid that as well. Um, attraction, inclination, th those, are, those are better. Because they have the sense of, you know, being able to say to somebody, well, okay, you have these attractions, uh, you have these inclinations, you experience this, but that's not who you are. Now, uh, another thing that we have to, we have to um, uh, keep in mind in, in speaking with people about this uh, is the importance of listening. And I, I say that as somebody who um, has difficulty doing that. I'll, I'll admit it before anybody else on, on this does. 
Um, and, uh, but it does take, it, it does take patience and, and great share. J just listen, just listen. Um, people will, you know, they'll say, well, I was born this way. Uh, well, I know immediately that, that that's not true. That's not accurate. But sometimes people's experience of homosexual, homosexual attractions is so deep and so profound that they feel like they've been born that way. And okay, I, you know, I, that might be objectively speaking inaccurate, but I do at the same time, I have to respect that person's experience and say, gosh, that's, and, and perhaps even say, that sounds difficult, right? Uh, and so th there has to be a lot of listening and, um, and allow allowing people to, to speak about this. This is what, you know, in our courage meetings, I mean, this is most of what it is. It's just guys being able to speak freely and other guys listening. Uh, and that's very, very free. And, you know, that, that's, what, you know, that's what friendship is about, right? Being able to speak freely and other person listens. And, and um, so th there's that, that importance of, of listening. And, and there'll come a time where you can say, well, maybe we can talk about this more. But, um, but there's a great temptation to, to jump to like, okay, I, wanna, I, want, I want to fix what you said. Uh, I, I experienced that temptation. And we have to resist that to just, just let the person talk and, uh, and, 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 just, and just listen. Uh, and, and, you know, say, well, let's get together and talk about this again. Okay, and maybe that's an opportunity to say, let, let's talk about, you know, what is the church teach? What, what, what is, you know, what's your experience and, and how can we understand better what the church teaches? Yes, so let's open it to Q&A. And I'm gonna say before we get there, because everybody knows that I always like to ask the first question, um, about language. Gender is not a good word. <laughs> Words have gender. People have sex. I mean, we are sexed creatures. Words have gender, um, but, but the person is sexual, male or female. Okay. Thank you so much, Father Scalia, for, for laying the groundwork because as you were talking, we've got so many questions that have been coming in um, even as, as you were speaking. So I know that this is really hitting a chord with a lot of people. You know, before we get, before you dive into the questions, I, I saw one pop up on the screen and it broke my heart. So I wanna address it immediately. And okay. it was, uh, my son is homosexual. Is he excommunicated? And absolutely not, no, 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 uh, please. That that, um, that the church is always always reaching out uh, to to those who who are struggling and just and even even those who I mean just because somebody might even oppose the church doesn't mean the person is excommunicated. So we we we, we want to say very strongly no no we we want that person to to come and to uh, to uh, uh, to receive the 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 the, the teaching of the church and the sacraments of the church and really to experience that conversion of heart. That the church always desires for all her children. Well, thank you so much for that, Father. Um, I think that leads me to um, a question here, which is if if we have a, a family member or or a friend who is in a same sex relationship, perhaps even um, you know legally married, you know has a marriage certificate from from the state, how do we discern whether or not we should be encouraging that person 
to chastity? Are you by default supporting a lifestyle choice if we don't say anything to them? Yeah, good question. And it touches on the issue of fraternal correction, right? And uh, I, I think a lot of it has to do, the first thing is, are you in a position to speak to the person? In other words, do you have that kind of relationship? Uh, and so it's not really fraternal correction if, if you're not fraternal with the person already. Um, so siblings, yes, I, th I think that the conversation should be had and, and parents as well. Um, I, I think a lot of times, especially with parents, the children already know what mom and dad think. I, I think a, a very calm and, you know, um, undramatic saying this is you know this is our faith and not just our faith but that this is this is what we believe to be true about the human person and um it's it's a sadness that 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 you're not living that and i i love you to death uh but but i i can't um i can't um approve of this and and i can't do things that will make you think i'm approving of it which is the more difficult part right and so um you know <laughs> Now, certainly we shouldn't be attending weddings, right? Because that, that you know, a, a gay wedding, that your attendance there is saying, yes, I approve of this. Um, uh, you know, uh, Courage has a, a group, uh, part of Courage is the group called Encourage, which is for parents of those who are, who have chosen uh, the homosexual lifestyle. And uh, they are great support to one another. And there's a lot of wisdom in that group. So anyone on here who, who is in that situation, I, I, um, I point you to uh, the Courage website, couragerc.net and, and to Encourage. Um, and, and so it, it, it helps to navigate, okay, how do we, and, and so this is the situation, right, of, uh, of, of such parents. They love their children and they don't wanna stop loving their children. And they love their faith and they don't want to stop loving their faith. And so the, the, the temptation is to either say, I'm going to love my faith and therefore I have to dismiss my child or uh, I love my child and therefore I have to dismiss my faith. It's, it's crucial to keep both of them, to love both of them um, uh, as much as you can. And unfortunately, it's, it's crucial also because it's, it's very much like the cross, because, because you're, you're trying to hold two loves that, that are hard to reconcile, and you're being stretched between the two of them. But um, that, that is, that's the position that such parents, parents are in. And so Encourage can be a really good uh, source of support and wisdom and, 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 uh, and guidance for them. What about friends though, like you were talking about family, but, but how about yeah. friends? How do you determine whether or not you're the right person or if you should or not say anything? You know, I don't think it's different in this situation as it would be for other situations. If let's say, you know, you have two friends who are shacking up, right? Living together. Well, you should probably say something to them, to them. Right? Uh, I mean, I think actually the homosexual lifestyle is, is more grave, but the, I mean, the, the principles still hold if you're truly a friend of that person, not just an acquaintance, not just somebody you get together with on occasion for a beer, but, but really a friend, then you say, listen, I, as your friend, I, 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 I want, you know, I, I want to have this conversation with you. And I think that's another important thing. I want to have the conversation with you. I don't want to just tell you, like, you got to stop doing this. 
<laughs> or you're wrong. <laughs> no, I want to have a conversation with you. I want to know where you are and, 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 and I want you to know where I am uh, so that we can understand each other better. And it's going to be uncomfortable as anything, but that's it. We'll get, we have to have a conversation about it and, and not, just, not just I'm laying down the law, but help me understand where you are and I want you to know where I am. And that, that's, that's just called friendship, right? So, but, uh, but again, it, it, okay, well, how close am I really with the person? Um, uh, yeah. um, Huey asks, when counseling those with, with homosexual tendencies or really anyone who melds their actions with their identity, how does the counselor best help and, and educate such an individual to separate their actions from their identity? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, uh, this is what we do every time we go to confession, right? Uh, it's funny because people say, oh, it's unreasonable what you're asking. Wow, it's what I ask of every Catholic. <laughs> every time you go to confession, what do you do? You say, here are the actions that were wrong uh, and, and that I, I don't like and that are, are, um, are bad. <laughs> Here's the person whom I love, whom God loves, and who is good, right? It's the old, I hate the sin, and I love the sinner. Every time you go to confession, that's what you're doing. You're hating the sin, you're loving the sinner, namely yourself. And so if the person's Catholic, and, and, and this is why, by the way, uh, one of the things in, 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 in the Courage Apostolate is frequent confession. But because frequent confession is, is it, and for all Catholics, right? It's, it's like, well, okay. I'm, I'm growing accustomed to distinguishing myself, the one whom God loves, from the sins that I have committed, uh, and distinguishing myself from the vices I have, right? Uh, because the, the vices are not really part of us. We don't want them to be. We're pushing against them. And so uh, that, that, that's something. Now, if the person's not Catholic, then I, I, I think that... Uh, um, you know, kind of self-knowledge and, and sort of a, a question of, well, you know, who are you really? And, and, uh, uh, and just more generally, where, where do we find our identity? Do we, do we always get to define it ourselves? Um, we have a couple of questions here, Father. One from, from Tawny that says, how can we effectively stand up to corporations constantly shoving an agenda on us and, and at our children, particularly in the, the month of the Sacred Heart, otherwise known to the secular culture as Pride Month. And Sean also asked about the pride flag or the, the rainbow symbol and whether it's ever right for a Catholic institution. No, absolutely not. It. Never, ever. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I just wrote something on this um, for the Catholic thing uh, last Friday, the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Um, uh, here in the City of Falls Church at City Hall, they're flying four flags, the United States, State of Virginia, City of Falls Church. Those three flags describe the jurisdiction uh, under which uh, the city conducts its business. There's a fourth flag during June, of course, and that's the rainbow flag. What does that mean? Uh, a flag is traditionally something we salute, something that expresses loyalty and jurisdiction. You know, you, 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 uh, you know, soldiers would, you know, Iwo Jima, right? They, 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 
they raise the flag once they've conquered. So uh, I, I do not see that as no, no Catholic institution should be flying the rainbow flag because what, what, what it speaks of is, and this is very important, what it speaks of is not just a lifestyle that is contrary to the, to the teachings of the church, but a view of the human person that is contrary. And uh, so, uh, and it, I know it's promoted as, you know, we're just, you know, just being open to people and, and, and uh, we're not condemning, condemning people. No, it's actually going further than that. As for the corporations and things like that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think actually um, uh, this year things may have gone too far. I think they may have pushed things too far. The Dodger Stadium, Bud Light, Target, they've all, I, I think they all realize negative effects of the corporations really wading into this cultural thing. Um, quite a few people asking about how to find a courage chapter near them right. or how to, um, is there a, a courage organization or does courage itself um, help teenagers who are struggling yeah. with same Great, great. Yeah, good question. So couragerc.net, that will have a list of the chapters. Almost every ma major city has at least one. Uh, here in uh, the Diocese of Arlington has two. Washington DC has one, Baltimore has one, Philadelphia, New York, uh, so um, Atlanta. Uh, so th there'll, be, there'll be a list of them on, on the Courage website. Unfortunately, you know, they're not every place that needs one has one. Um, uh, and the Courage chapters, it's not, it's not like an AA where you can go, you know, you can go online and find a meeting and just go, just show up, right? Um, uh, Courage has had the sad experience of people uh, infiltrating meetings uh, in order to out people who, who are in Courage. Um, there's a famous case of that up in uh, the Twin Cities. Uh, and so prior to anybody going to a meeting, they need to meet with a, the, uh, the chaplain uh, so, that, that, so that he can discern that the person is ready uh, to come to a meeting. Um, as regards teens, uh, I we, we don't have we don't have meetings for teens. I mean, it, it gets into you know uh, a whole lot of kind of uh, legal issues if people are under eighteen and, and stuff like that. But um, I, I think, and this is going to be a difficulty in a lot of places in the country. You know, going to a good clinician, a good therapist who 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 will recognize that a teen who experiences same sex attractions. Uh, that, that that's really go going to be a part of a broader thing that the, that the person is struggling with. Um, so no, Courage does not have, have things for teens. Um, it just, uh, but um, please God, you have priests in your parishes uh, that, that can assist and, uh, or clinicians in the area, but that's, that, that, that's a difficult thing. And a lot of clinicians are not, um, are, are frightened to get into that. Uh, you know, can I make a distinction here? Um, because sometimes courage is accused of doing reparative therapy. So reparative therapy is basically, it, it begins with the presumption that, okay, you are gay and we will work with you in, you know, in therapy or prayer or whatever else. And you'll come out not gay on the other end. Um, 
courage is not reparative therapy, mainly because we don't accept that premise. We don't accept the premise that a person is gay. We take the person as the person. Who are you? What are you struggling with? And uh, we don't want to pigeonhole that person. And so courage is like, okay, this is what you're struggling with. Let's you know come and come to our meetings so so that you can get support and assistance to live chastity. That's it. We don't require a person to cease ever having homosexual attractions ever again. That's 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 not the purpose. It's just it's it's very modest. It's it's people experience these things. They want to live chastity. We want to help them. So there's a, that, but that's I think an important distinction to make because uh, reparative therapy uh, is 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 um, a lot of people uh, criticize it very strongly and sometimes for good reason. Um, that that's not what we do. That's not where we're. Um, that's not our project. Father Janice um, asks if you could comment on on those in the church that are encouraging the blessing of of same sex unions or celebrating pride masses. I think there was one somewhat near you, um, right across the, the river, diocese of Washington D.C. just recently, and whether um, whether that kind of um, agenda pushing within the church. Um, is demoralizing to to those in courage who are trying to live chastely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, the the members of courage are very dis, uh, they're discouraged uh, by these things. The group is called Courage for a reason. These are courageous men and women because they're uh, they're fighting fighting their own personal battles, but then in the midst of a culture that tells them that they're idiots to be fighting those battles. Uh, that takes a lot of courage. And then, yeah, when they when there are pride masses or approval of homosexual unions by the German bishops, um, which has been, you know, I mean, that's I, I don't have to say anything more than the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith said so, several years ago that 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 you cannot bless what is sinful. I mean, that's <laughs> it's pretty pretty straightforward. Um, but yeah, all of those things are 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 discouraging to to people who are striving to live. It's true. You know, uh, um, as a priest, I, the equivalent I would, uh, the, the, the analogy I would make is, it's always discouraging when, when, when priests start talking about optional celibacy. Like, well, <laughs> well what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and, and so, um, uh, yeah, so th that, that is, it's, it's, it's harmful and, and, uh, and it's discouraging. And, and that's why, you know, our, the Courage Conference, we have a conference every summer. And the Courage Conference this summer is, uh, we have several bishops who come and it's such a shot in the arm for the members to know, okay, yes, we've got the, these shepherds who are here encouraging us uh, in, in our uh, striving for Christian perfection. Um, Raymond asks about the, uh, you, you mentioned in your talk about the, uh, the revision that was made to the catechism Right. Um, as it pertained, what was that revision that was? Uh, I, yeah, I touched on it. it uh, the word orientation uh, was removed. And I think there's some other changes there too. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was the church deliberately backing away from describing uh, homosexuality as a fixed, uh, a fixed orientation um, that, that defines the person. And I think we'll close with this, uh, Father Scalia. I'm kind of summing up um, quite a few questions and trying to get at the idea that um, people don't like the word no. 
They don't like to be told that what they're doing is wrong. They don't like to be told that they're not allowed to do what they want to do. I mean, that's all of us. So how do we communicate the no into a, a, a pot in, a, in sort of a positive way or a way that's compassionate that, that will actually be received and, and considered rather than just outright rejected right away. Yeah. Somewhere John Paul II in um, uh, discussing the 10 commandments or just knows, right? <laughs> thou shalt not. Uh, he says, it's the no at the service of a greater yes. And uh, my good friend, Father Paul Check, who was executive director for Courage for, for uh, some years, he said that, that the Courage really wants, is, is, is like the church's yes to, to men and women who have same-sex attraction. Say, so yes, the church, the church wants to assist you. And um, so, yeah, we, I mean, in any, in any state in life, in any venture in life, a lot of no's are, are required in order to say yes fully to something, you, you need to say no to a lot of other things. Every, every great musician, every great athlete knows this. And, uh, and married couples know this. You know, it takes a lot of no's in order to pronounce that, that full yes. And so what, what, what do we desire? We want, we want to, uh, by our teaching and by the grace of Christ, to, to enable people to formulate and speak that full yes to Christ. And in order to get there, they're going to have to be uh, a number of no's uh, uh, along the way. And this is why I, you know, I say like having conversations with people is helpful because, because you're not beginning with a no. You're beginning with, tell me about yourself. Or you're kind of saying yes to the person immediately. And, and that's an important thing. And it's something that you know, I, 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 you know, I, I regret that I haven't, haven't always done well. But, um, but I, I think that that's, that's really essential in all of this is I, I'm saying yes to the person and I, I'm saying no to some other things, but I want you to know that I'm saying yes to this person as God is saying yes to this person. And as God is saying, it is good that this person exists. Beautifully put. Father Paul Scalia, it's been a wonderful evening. Thank you so much. Great. Thank all of you. Okay. God bless you. Thank you. Would you mind closing us in prayer, Father? Absolutely. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God and Father, form us by your divine teaching and by your grace, which come from the heart of Christ, uh, whom we adore this month of June. We ask you to make us effective uh, witnesses to your truth, the truth that the world both resists and desires. Uh, may we always be instruments to, of your yes to each person, so that they will know your love and by our word, example, and charity be drawn into communion with you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. Mm -hmm.